morning, and welcome to everyone again. Good to see all of you out this morning. Great day. I feel like a groundhog today, like the sun's out, and then I'm going to go see what's going on out there. Boom. All right. A groundhog's Day coming up later this week. All right. Okay. All right. Well, I'm glad you're all here today anyway, even though you maybe haven't woke up just yet, but I'm glad that you've uh, chosen to join us, and uh, we're sharing today. We're going to continue the series that we're in uh, coming up, uh, well, that we've been on for a few weeks now, but I'm, I'm excited about the one to come. You know, uh, we're going to be starting next Sunday a series called Jesus, the Untold Story, and we're going to be looking at Jesus as presented and taught in the book of John. The book of John, a little bit different than the other Gospels. We'll talk about why and how, uh, but we're going to talk about Jesus and spend several weeks leading us up into Easter. So I'm, ex- I'm excited about that, but today uh, we're going to be wrapping up this series that we've been in for a few weeks called Barriers. And uh, we've been talking about several things, in fact, kind of getting in people's business a little bit, getting in my business about some things, and maybe about yours as well, and we're going to keep that up today, all right? won't let you down. Let me just ask you this morning, how many of you here would say that overall you are content with life? Overall you are content with life? That's good, maybe half, maybe third, something like that, that's good. You know, have you ever noticed that contentment seems to be one of those things that we pursue after One of those things that we have a difficult time finding and then maintaining a balance when it comes contentment. We're going to talk about that and why maybe a little bit. But there really is a challenge there. On the one hand, we are told that we should be content in life. And we have scriptures like this, uh, the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, I don't know if you remember hearing the first part of that, but I guarantee almost everybody's heard that last statement, I, have, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. It really is relating specifically to contentment and dealing with things in life, maybe that we can't change. To be content in any and every situation. Most of us would not say that we are at that place. Because for most of us, our contentment is dependent upon the circumstances and the situations in our life. But maybe for some of us here today, that is the word you need to hear. The word from Philippians 2 that we've learned and we need to learn to be content. We spend our lives at a breakneck speed doing this, doing that, going here, going there, never content with what we have, always greedy for more. Maybe it's time we just stopped and learned to be content with where we are. And so in this context, discontentment discontentment is a sin. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? But on the other hand, contentment can actually be sin in itself. Now, how can that be? How can it be the right thing and the wrong thing at the same time? Maybe we can explain that before we're through. Well, in this series that we've been in for a few weeks now, we've been talking about several different barriers uh, and several different things that will prevent us from being the disciple that God wants us to be and being a disciple maker as well. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, we've talked about, this is the third message in that series. We talked, first of all, about sin in our lives that keeps us from a relationship with Jesus. The fact that sin, obviously, is the big thing that we have to deal with. And in our little study, we have been using four imaginary chairs. We've kind of related those to this discussion. And we've also been using a word picture as well. We're going to get into in just a few moments uh, about bearing fruit for Christ, because that really is what we're called to do. 
And we said that the first big move in reconciling ourselves to God is to become aware of our sin, to confess our sin, and turn from it, which we call repentance, and make a decision to give our life to Christ and follow after him. And we go from bearing no fruit, which is what it means to not be in Christ, and what we call chair one, to some fruit, which is chair two, which is a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're called to do, to come out of our sin, to come in, and to follow Christ. And then last week, we talked about the second barrier in our lives, which on the other hand are good things, not necessarily our sins, but the good things that can steal our energy, our, our, our passion, our attention, and our heart, and how we have to choose the right priorities in life, how that things can seem to be great and on their own, they're not wrong, but in our lives they can be distractions, and they can pull us away, and good things can actually be a barrier. In fact, good things keep a lot of Christians from moving to the next level in their walk with Christ and producing not just some fruit, we said all Christians produce some fruit, but producing more fruit for Christ, which is the move we talked about from chair two to chair three, which means that we now become a, a worker. We become one that Christ can really depend upon, someone that's serving him. And in and, and the church life, it is making the church move and function and, and impacting the lives of other people. And today we're going to be talking about this third barrier in our life that, that, that can, is a very common one, I think, among long-term Christians. And if, so if you've been a Christian for a while, this may be one that you relate to, especially those who maybe have been working for some time and serving in the church and, and doing things for Jesus. And that is that we can become content with the fruit that we have already produced, that we've already produced. And you know, one of the big dangers in the Christian life is that we get to a place where we feel like we've been there and we've done that and we're worn out and now it's somebody else's turn to do it. I think most of us can relate to that because we've done our part in the time that other people stepped up and did their part. And we talked last week about the problem of bitterness Bitterness ties into that as well because we start resenting other people because they don't have the same passion that we have for some subject or some ministry or for serving. And then we kind of build this wall, this barrier, and a lot of it has to do with what we're talking about today. I think this is one of the greatest dangers or pitfalls of a church is that we have some success in the past. We see some fruit produced for Jesus, and then we kind of bask in the moment. We kind of stop there. We take a deep breath. We say, we've done a lot for Jesus, so much more than a lot of other people that we just tend to stay in that spot. That's a danger for the church. For the individual, the same thing is true. We might be doing a lot, a lot of activity, a lot of busyness, a lot of energy, but no growth, no movement in our lives. Let me give you an example of how that might play out practically. When I was uh, younger and began ministry, uh, we, we didn't have, we have, today we have adult Bible fellowships, we call them. Back then we called them Sunday school. And somebody said something about Sunday school. They said, you know what, uh, kind of a, with tongue in cheek, that Sunday school can be the only school we go to for the rest of our lives and never graduate from. Isn't that true? I mean, every other school you eventually graduate and you become a teacher or something, you know, with what you've learned. But in Sunday school, we can become very content just being fed, receiving, receiving, and never thinking about the fact that now it's time to go and disperse. Now it's time to teach others. Now it's time to do something with what I know. We can tend to become very fat in spiritual knowledge and never do anything with it. And that is a problem. That's a problem. That's what we're going to be talking about today. So what is it oftentimes that keeps us from moving 
from the next level to produce not just some fruit, not just more fruit, to produce more fruit or much fruit in chair chapter 4, which is a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, that's kind of introductory. Let's look at our scripture, John chapter 15. We're going to back back where we've been all through this series. John chapter 15, the parable of the vine. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. This is, (coughs) we talked about barrier one, sin bearing no fruit, and how the gardener will lift that vine up, not necessarily to cut it off, but lift it up, cleanse it, purge it, and try to make it begin to produce fruit. Then while every branch that does produce fruit or bear fruit, he prunes. That was last week, pruning the things out of our life uh, to make us more productive and keeping only the best so that it will be even more fruitful. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will, hear, you will bear much fruit. And this again is the barrier three we're going to talk about. Not being content with just some fruit, but produce much fruit. Now, what is Jesus saying here? To be honest, I think it's a little bit confusing, and so I want to try to clarify that. But he is contrasting, I believe, contentment with complacency. Contentment with complacency. That's what we're going to be talking about. Contentment in Christ is one of the main goals for the Christian. He is enough for us. He is our all in all, but contentment for Christ means that we're growing in Christ, not just static in life. That we are getting life from Jesus on a regular basis. We are growing and we are producing more fruit for him. You cannot be at the same level today that you were two years ago or five years ago. That's the enemy that we're talking about here. Contentment means that Christ is everything, but complacency is the enemy. Complacency is satisfaction with the current situation and unconcerned about changing it to the point of being smug about it. And I think that relates in Christians, you know, that we can almost be smug about the fact that we're in, that we're good, that we've done this, and we're at this point in our spiritual life, and unfortunately, it becomes complacency. Christian contentment means that no matter what's happened, you are fully satisfied in Christ. Christian complacency means that no matter what's happened, you are fully satisfied with your current personal effort in pursuing Christ. You're good. And you intend to stay there until the Lord comes back or you die first, right? That's the enemy that we're talking about. The Bible makes it clear all throughout that the Christians were not never really standing still in our faith walk. They were either pushing forward or were sliding backwards. Never static in our life. The language is always pursuing Christ, pursuing maturity like this in 2 Peter 1. For this very reason... Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see a couple things? First of all, that list he just gave sounds very similar to the fruits of the Spirit that we read from Galatians 5. And we'll touch back on those here in just a few moments one more time. But that's what we want to produce, these type of fruits. Not only that, he says, you need to be producing them in increasing measure. That you never get to a place where you stop producing at a higher level. We're always being called for more and more. And if you do so, more increasing level, then you're going to be effective and productive 
in our knowledge and relationship with our Lord and Savior. That's the challenge for us. But unfortunately, the American church is not increasingly increasing in their measure of production for Jesus. In fact, it's the opposite. George Barna, who is a market research specialist who studies the religious beliefs and habits and behaviors of Christians, and his latest state of the church study reveals actually uh, some discouraging news. A drop in church attendance, a drop in Bible reading, uh, in serving, in giving, and priority put upon their faith, specifically among those who claim to be born-again Christians. And he warns us that overall, American Christians have become complacent. Every indicator and Christian activity has dropped several percentage points. And he calls these critical reflections and says, in the past decade, even the percentage of born-again adults who say their faith is vitally important to them has dipped substantially. And he concludes the study by saying that the current situation reflects the pursuit of cheap grace, which is described as the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ. In other words, I want all the benefits without any of the commitment. And doesn't that reflect the nature of our entire culture today? We want all of the benefits of everything, but we don't want the commitment level. We're good where we are. We like things like they are without rocking the boat, without changing anything. And yet the Bible warns about that level of complacency. One of the best-known warnings about this complacency is found in Revelation chapter 3. And by the way, the first couple, three chapters of Revelation are letters to churches warning them about things just like this or about the problems that they have. Here's what it says. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. So the condemnation upon these believers was not because they did nothing, because they had done some things, but they were being called out because of their complacency or their lukewarmness, having an attitude like the rest of the world. In verse 17, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. And they felt like they had reached a point of of stopping, of being fulfilled and being faithful. The Bible warns everywhere about depending upon wealth, but the source of much of our complacency is our wealth and our independence, that we've gained a certain level. In comparison to the rest of the world, we are all wealthy, believe me. And so because of those things, we become complacent, get distracted, take our eyes off Christ, and we put them on the world around us and begin to look like and act like everybody else around us. When we are called to be different, we're called to come out, but instead we're matching the world around us. Jesus' command to the complacent is this. He goes on to say in Revelation 3, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So what does Jesus say should happen when we find ourselves complacent? Instead of cutting us off, you know, we, we talked early in the study about the scripture where it says that 
the vine or the branches that are on the ground that the, the gardener picks them up and, and he cleans them off and he puts them on a trellis so they can produce. But at some point, if they don't, they're going to be cut off. Now, is Jesus looking to cut us off? No, he, he's not. He calls us to re-engage with him. I want you to re-engage and become fruitful once more or more fruitful if possible. And that's how we guys, we have to get rid of our own complacency. We have to invite him in and spend time with him. We have to engage with him. And in in doing so, we begin to be renewed and we get new life in him and we produce much fruit. Let's go back again to our study of the vine a little bit here, the vine and the branches. Jesus said, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciple. See, Jesus is never going to be content for us just to produce some fruit. He wants us to produce much fruit. And how do we get to the point where we produce much fruit in him, which is his real goal for us? How do we get to that place? Well, we're not left hanging like, I don't know how to get there. He tells us how. And it all comes back to this analogy of the vine here. He gives us a secret in one word. He repeats eight times in the scripture. If you read this, <coughs> not only what we read, but, but the surrounding passages, you're going to see one word that comes out. It is the word remain. It is the word remain. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. It's also translated abide, continue, dwell, or tarry. And what it means is that we are to make Jesus our permanent place, our permanent dwelling place. See, it's a beautiful analogy that he gives us, this whole thing we've been looking at. Once again, Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches. The Father is the gardener. He makes the decision. He prunes the fruitful branches so they will bear more fruit and then much fruit. Again, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, forgiveness, uh, forbearance, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Also, fruitfulness in evangelism, in leading other people to Jesus, and in making disciples, investing in the lives of people is what we're called to do. But only, he says, if we remain in him. We can bear no fruit on our own. Like a vine broken off or shattered has no productivity at all. There's no grapes on that. We have no fruit unless we are connected to him, abiding and remaining in him. Now, what does it mean to abide in him? What does that really mean? Well, let me throw three words at you that I think will explain this in the best way I can imagine. First of all is connection. First of all is connection. A branch is connected to the vine. This is our union with Christ. We reside in him and abide in him, and he abides in us. There is no, if there's no connection, there is no life. There is death. You know, I'm told, and again, I know little about grapevines, but I'm told that the most important point on a branch, on a branch and vine is where it connects to the vine. They want that to be healthy, and they support that. That's that's kind of what the trellis is for, so that it can help support this union so that it can be wide open, so that life can flow from the vine into the branch. And that's what we have to have, guys. We have to have a good union with him, a good relationship, open connection, so that life can flow from him into us. And then we can become productive, and we have to maintain that connection. When we leave him or walk away from him or there's a broken or there's a, a, you know, a stressed connection with him, in other words, maybe sin in our life or, or busyness, whatever it may be, then we're not going to experience the life of, of Christ flowing into us like he wants. So the connection is important. The second word is dependence. Dependence. 
This aspect of abiding, unlike connection, is not reciprocal. The branch is dependent on the vine, but the vine is not dependent on the branch. Understand that, that life flows from the vine into the branch. It gets its life from the vine, and without it, the branch is useless, it is lifeless, it is powerless. The sap flows from the vine to the branch, supplying it with all the minerals, water, nutrients that it needs to grow. And in so doing, we receive our life from Christ, and we are completely dependent upon Him for everything. Apart from Him, Jesus said, we can do nothing. That dependence is important. And if you're not connected and abiding in Him in that way, and you're not depending upon Him, then you're not going to have His life. And then the third word is simple. It is continuance. Continuance. Abiding also involves staying or continuing long term. It's not like you just have a one-time experience with Him, and that's good for the rest of your life. It only makes sense. That if we're going to survive and we're going to be fruitful, we have to have a long-term relationship. It means to reside or to live with Christ. That we go on trusting. We keep on depending. We never stop believing. We never stop growing in our faith. To abide means to be united to Christ, to rely upon Christ, and to remain in Christ. I love that analogy, and I'll be honest, I've studied this a lot. I've never seen it quite that clear of what God expects for us in this idea of abiding or remaining in Him, and that is my challenge to you. Because this whole process of growing in Christ is one that's a challenge to us. And in fact, it's new to a lot of us because for some of us, church is just going through the motions, it's just showing up, it's trying to do the best we can, but we don't have a picture of, of the, the, the challenge that we have of growing and maturing to the place that soon we are producing more disciples and we're bearing much fruit to show ourselves to be faithful and to bring glory to God. And guys, this is the journey that we're encouraging everyone to make. Your journey may begin by just simply coming to Christ, if you have not done that, to come to Christ, to cross the line of faith and say, I want to give my life to Christ and live in Him and abide in Christ. Maybe it may, may be for you to remain in Him. If you're a Christian, maybe you've been trying to live life disconnected from Him kind of on your own, doing your own thing, and it doesn't work that way. You're not going to have the relationship till there's, there's a closeness, there's a, a reliance, a dependency, fully depending upon Him. And that's our challenge to you. That's where we're trying to go is by growing other fruit. And you know the point. But we go from some fruit to more fruit to much fruit. And you know what? It, it's not a drudgery either. It's not like God is dragging us into it. In fact, Jesus said, I've told you this so that, you might, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The way to find joy in life, true contentment in life, is by following Jesus and giving him our all. And we discover what that means to be content in him, never complacent in where we are, but knowing that Jesus is enough. He is enough. And so this morning, I want to challenge you as we kind of wrap up this series. I want to challenge you. If you are a believer, to ask yourself, what areas in my life have I become complacent in? What areas am I complacent in? Do, do, does my heart beat fast when I think about Jesus, or am I, you know, is it humdrum? I've been, been there and done that. Have I become satisfied with my level of service? You know, maybe you're not serving anywhere. We're called to produce fruit, and part of that is service. 
You know, maybe, maybe it's in the level of, li- of, of loving people that your heart's kind of gotten hard and you're kind of, you know, you don't have love for people anymore, compassion or kindness. <laughs> That's where you're struggling. Maybe it's in the area of giving financially, you know, that you're just kind of wrapped up in yourself and, and you, need to, you need to really refocus on where it comes from and, and how God, what God asks for us to, to, to give back to him. Whatever area it may be, I want to challenge you to address that yourself personally. And I want to challenge you, if you're not a believer, we'd love to have you come and join the journey with us. And you do that by making a commitment to follow Christ. I'd love to have that conversation with you. I can do it any time. We also want to challenge you to belong to our church family, to be a part. And part of that would be by going to first steps and kind of figuring out where your place may be here. And then to abide in Christ, to a daily walk with him and sharing Christ with everyone that we can. This morning, we're going to wrap up our time together by doing something very appropriate that connects directly with our, with our analogy of the vine. We're going to share in communion with the, the fruit of the vine. Every Lord's Day, we come together, and part of the highlight of our service is remembering what Jesus has done through the sharing of communion. And we want to invite you to, uh, to share with us in that as well. If you're a believer in Christ, uh, the table is open, and, and you're welcome to come and share the way that we have been doing it lately that we really enjoy is by just coming forward as a way for us to respond to what God may be teaching us and telling us. And because we've changed our setup a little bit, I'm going to ask you to change the way you do that a bit. We're going to ask you to come straight up the side aisles, if you would, straight to the table. And then um, if you're in this section, you can peel off and go that way. If you're in this section, we'll ask you to come back and go into the middle. So up the side, to the middle, and around the outside, all right? And uh, in this time together, we don't want to get lost in a movement, but, but it really is a time for us to focus on what Jesus has done for us and how he has died upon the cross to forgive us of our sins and to uh, remind us of that every time we come together. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And Lord, as we now uh, humbly come, uh, we acknowledge that we're unworthy. Uh, we, we acknowledge that we don't deserve this to even interact with you, and yet you invite us to the table. And Lord, that's because you want to engage with us. You want a relationship. You invite us to abide with you. And what we're about to do, Lord, is is so important that you have given us this memorial meal, the Lord's Supper, a time for us to come to commune with you. And Lord, as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, may we remember uh, the, 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 the blood of Christ that was shed for us and the body of Christ that was broken for us, Lord. May we be drawn closer to you. And Father, may this also be a time of response. If there's a burden upon our hearts or a prayer concern, or Father, also if there's a decision to take our next step in our spiritual journey, Lord, I pray for courage for people to make those decisions as well. Lord, we love you. We worship you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.